podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it up. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take. This is episode number 100. I should have arranged some kind of fanfare or, or mariachi band or something, but um, it's great to get to 100 episodes. Who would have thought that when we recorded episode one last February, I think it was, in Mrs. Macklin's front room in Solly Hole with her dogs barricaded into the room next to us to avoid them interrupting us too often. And we've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been great. And thanks to everybody who's listened and, and helped us out with the odd review and rating and feedback and stuff like that on Twitter. It's been tremendous fun and it's not going anywhere. We're going to keep this going. Um, we love doing it. We might have some plans for a bit of expansion next year. We don't know yet. We'll just see how it goes. But the style of it, the kind of the, the deeply intellectual tone of it um, will, not, will not change uh, at any point in the in the near future which will be a, which will be a relief to our more highbrow listeners because that's what Macklin's take listeners are we know that you're the you're the cognoscenti the illuminati of the boxing world so um a few thank yous quickly uh Darren Reese our top producer he's been tremendous um it helps us out with so many things anything remotely clever or technologically proficient that you see attached to Macklin's take that's him that's not me or Macklin but I don't think that comes any any Great surprise to people. Quick thanks to my mate Dave Rogers as well, actually, who came up for the very first episode to Mrs. Macklin's house and helped us record it and uh, advised me on what kit to get and all that kind of thing. And Claire as well, who who helps Matt out with his social media. Same thing, if you see anything impressive on on, uh, on Matt's Instagram or Twitter, swipe ups, that kind of thing. It's not him. I mean, obviously, it's not him. So they've all played a, they've all played a big part. Uh, but on to today's episode, and this is a kind of episode that it always fills me full of optimism uh, that we might be able to mine a good few Macklin stories, because this is something I'm semi-obsessed with, but it's very, very difficult to do. It's like, you know, it's like panning for gold. You, you hear stories about, about nuggets being found in hillsides um, in the next valley, so you get over there and you're raking around in the mud, and then it turns out there's fucking nothing there. Uh, but but when we get the likes of John Pegg on or Smigger, Paul Smith, they've managed to extract a few, and he's got a good old pal of his on today. Who this man's got plenty. This man, <laughs> I'm, this man, I'm told has got plenty. So we will get to that bit at the end. But but I'll just leave this hanging in the air for Macklin's take listeners. He was there for Mumbergate. I need say no more. I know that'll keep you listening to the end. I know it will. But we'll also be talking a bit of Canelo against Callum Smith with him too because. That's coming up at the weekend, and nearly 10 years ago now, he challenged Canelo for the WBC Super Welterweight title, went the distance, and plenty of people, plenty of Brits since then have have failed to do that against the Mexican, and also about the new adventure he's embarking on, training his nephew, Campbell Hatton, who we all met last week um, when he made his debut in front of the cameras, not in the ring, but in front of the cameras, Uh, and uh, everybody kind kind of took to him, really. He's definitely got that easy, ready, Hatton kind of confidence and, and humour about him. Uh, and our guest is the magic man, Matthew Hatton. Good to see you. 
No, 100th episode as well, so uh, honoured to be on there. Not just saying it, you know, because he's a friend of mine. I always enjoy listening to uh, to Matthew when he's speaking, you know, both on Sky and I always listen to his podcast. So 100th episode, you know, delighted to be on. My pleasure. I didn't tee that up either. He didn't even know until I did the intro and, and pure professional, he's just said exactly the right thing there. So... With Campbell, um, as I said, we met him last week, son of Ricky. Boxing fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. He, he's turned over as a professional now. He's signed with Matchroom. He's going to be managed by Ricky, trained by trained by you. So how's that? When did that decision get made as regards to the dynamic of the of the team? Because it is an interesting one, I think. Yeah, only fairly recently. I mean, both myself and, and Ricky, you know, Campbell's had to find his own way, and he, he has found his own way. Um, it got frustrating. I suppose I got more involved myself, I'd say probably about two years ago. Um, like you say, none of us either pushed Campbell into the boxing. He just found his own way himself. He was getting into it. And I was turning up watching his amateur fights, and you could see he had some some ability. Um, physically, he's got the genetics. He's got a lot of, a lot of attributes. But I was turning up to his amateur fights, and, you know, Again, he was performing well, winning mainly, but I was coming away and sort of like, I thought he's capable of doing so much more. Um, I was a coach myself, I'd been coaching some years, so I thought, you know what, he's my nephew, I think the world of Campbell, I, I always have done, and I thought, I'm going to step up to the plate and, and offer my time to him, you know, he, he's, he's shown now that he really wants the sport, which is so in sport, important in boxing, so I took more of a forward role, uh, started doing more coaching with him, um, when that happened, Ricky started becoming more involved himself. And I suppose the amateur club was was very good with us, really. I suppose as far as his coaching goes, they sort of let us take over a little bit. And in the last couple of years, he's improved massively. He, he really has. Um, so, again, I, I suppose predominantly I've been doing most of, the co- most of the coaching with him over the last two years. He's been doing some work with his dad. Uh, we got to a bit of a sticking point. Obviously, there's not much happening in, in the amateurs at the minute. Last Campbell's last fight was was March, um, so we sat down. We had a little meeting. You know, in, inactivity is uh, is a killer for any fighter, especially when you're a young man starting out. And we looked at it. The plan was always for Campbell to turn professional this year. Anyway, we probably would have done it more towards the middle or back end of the year. But again, weighing it up against you know the possibility of staying amateur being out of the ring over a year, possibly 18 months. Uh, it, it was a no-no. We, we decided to, to fast-forward with the process. We then sat down, spoke about the dynamics of it. Again, I predominantly have been doing a lot of the work with it with Campbell over the last couple of years. And, you know, we all made a group decision together um, for me to coach him and um, and his dad to manage him. That that decision was made predominantly by, by Campbell. And uh, I think it's going to work out great. I really do. Macklin, it's, it's interesting that, that Matt says there that, you know, he genuinely hasn't been kind of pushed towards boxing Campbell. I find that's pretty common when you're son of, nephew of professional fighters because they know, you all know what it's what it's really like and what it really takes, particularly if you're going to turn pro. And I think most pros I speak to, to be honest, they would rather their sons didn't do it. But I think they realise that if they really, really want to do it, you can't you can't really stop them. Yeah, I'm guessing it's one of those, isn't it? Because you know how hard it is, how brutal it is, how much of a an emotional emotional roller coaster it can be. The sacrifices, you 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 know, 
I don't know, you're guessing you want your nephew and your son to, to enjoy their life, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that boxing isn't enjoyable. It's unbelievable when it when it's good, but it's also can be really tough, hard, lonely, and a lot of sacrifices. But um, you know, I think I think the, the key thing is what they've done there is what I got listening to Matthew is look, this is a brutal hard sport. If you want it, you've got to want it for yourself. So we're not gonna push you. But if you really, really want it, then we'll get behind you and help you. And and, and I'm guessing we'll be proud as punch and we'll enjoy the journey like no other. But they've got to want it themselves. You cannot, you know, I think that's in any sport, but I think probably even more so in boxing than anything else. I mean, you're getting punched in the head. Do you know what I mean? You're going hungry. You're making weight. It's more brutal. Do you know what I mean? And it can be um, it can be difficult. But I also, the other thing I also picked up then, I'm not saying it, you know, and I was thinking about it myself. And he's, he's nail on the head when he says, inactivity is the biggest killer of fighters and their development, and particularly when you're young, because that's probably your rate of improvement is probably biggest when you're young. You know, you're getting be- literally better every single day when you're in the gym. But you need a fight. You need something to, to – you need a goal, something to train for. Some, you can train – in between fights, you should train in between fights and improve and things. But when you're focused on a goal and you've got that fight date, you know, you really crank it up a notch. So, you know, but I'm with, with Matthew and Ricky's, you know, knowledge in the game and, and their contacts and connections, I'm sure that Campbell will have no problem staying nice and busy. Because I know Matt was really busy. How many fights did you have, Matt? You were, you were constantly boxing four or five times a year, weren't you? I was. I had nine fights in my first year and wrapped up 52. Um, during my career, so again, I'm, I'm. I do think that's possibly uh, one of the downfalls of of fight modern fighters. For me, they, they're not boxing enough. For me, even at the very top level, where you need that recovery in between fights, I still think fighters should be fighting at least three times a year. I really do. I think one, two fights isn't good for for, for any fighter. And again, you know, Matt Matt has hit the nail on the head. You know, a former fighter and an intelligent guy. You know, Campbell was in the gym training with myself. And I could tell, you know, when you get that fight date, doesn't matter how much you love the sport. When you get a date for a contest, your your training intensifies, you're more focused, you're more determined. And Campbell was coming in the gym. He was working hard, but going through the motions, you've got to motivate any fighter. There's got to be something at the end of And with all this going on, so we dangled that little carrot about him turning professional and we saw the switching him straight away. His work really improved. Um, he's been sparring constantly. He's, in reality, Campbell's been training like a professional for the last 12 months. So, like Matt touched on there. Again, amateur boxing um, is going to lose a generation of fighters if it's not careful. You know, uh, kids get into that age, 18, 19, a lot of distractions about. Even if they really love the sport, it's easy to be doing other things. They, they need something to go for. And uh, we've given that carrot. Uh, you know, he's really put his head down, trained hard. And, um, you know, we, we're looking early next year for his pro debut. Everything for a reason. It's panned out perfectly. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so-
It's interesting, actually, because two or three years ago, when the Rio crop turned over, at that point, most people were staying in the in the international amateur setup anyway for, for I wouldn't say too long, but till mid-20s, most of them anyway, some of them a little bit later than that. But over the last year or so, not just this year with the pandemic, but the last two years maybe, we're having quite a lot more turnover with very little senior experience. You've done well as juniors and youths and decided to take the plunge straight away. So it'll be interesting to see how it how you could kind of compare those those two routes. There are obvious differences in that the later you turn over, the less time you have to make mistakes, basically. Um, but yeah, it's just something that struck me over the last over the last few months. I mean, this be- is, Andy, we, we talk about it a lot. I, I think it's quite relevant, so I'll, I'll come in here because Matthew's a good person to kind of speak to about it as well. Me and you chat a lot about it, you know, and in recent weeks we were talking about kind of Ben, how people want to, and I'm like, you can't compare someone who's 25 years old turning pro with 300 amateur fights behind him, you know, to someone like kind of Ben who's had, a, you know, 20 fights in Australia, probably not really taking it serious. You know, he's turning pro at 19. Who knows where he might be? Do you know what I mean? Because because the, the rate of improvement, there's going to be so much. We don't know what the ceiling is there. You know, someone who's already had 300 amateur fights, who's 25 years old turning pro. He's going to get better. He's going to adjust and adapt to the 12 rounds, etc. But So I'm not going to say he's the finished article, but, you know, the rate of improvement that he's got to go isn't going to be that great as opposed to someone who's 18 years old. But you see something in the kid, whether it's a desire, whether it's his explosive, you know, explosiveness, whatever it may be, you just think, all right, this kid's a bit raw, but he's got the raw materials. He hasn't, he's got to put it all together and he's got to develop and improve and learn. Well, you can teach skills, you can teach drills, and you can teach technique. You can't put what God left out. You can't give someone balls. You can't give them explosive power. You can't give them a good chin. Do you know what I mean? These are things that you cannot give. But if you can see that in someone, and he's only 18 years old, and maybe he's half been playing with the game, or whatever, whatever the reason might be, you might think, this kid isn't on the GB setup. He's not going to go with the Olympics. But you know what? Let's turn him pro, because he's... And let's take our time. Let's, you know, you've got if you've got the right experienced people guiding the kid's career, they'll pick the right fights at the right time. Keep him busy. Keep him in the gym. You don't need distractions. You don't need loads of time off the out of the gym where bullshit can happen. Stay focused. You know, and and, and if you're someone that's experienced in the game, you'll know that kid turning pro at eighteen. You're talking. It's a five year plan anyway, at least to where you see this kid going into his, you know. Well, you're going to, I'm not going to say go into a 50-50 fight, but we're going to roll the dice a little bit. If, if a kid's 18, 19, and he hasn't had a hundreds of amateur fights, that's a five-year plan, at least, where you're thinking, right, I know where he is now, but I know where we want to see him in five years. And then you've got to break that five-year down to years, six months, and then it's fight by fight, and you just want to see those little gains. And as long as it's moving in the right direction, like I say, we mentioned kind of Ben just because it's someone that's in the limelight recently, but... And we, me and Andy have done a lot of his fights, Matt, and I've been watching him close now, but he is a completely different fighter to what he was three, four years ago. Where's he going to be in another three years? If he can box, if he can have four or five fights, let's say four fights a year, if he can have four fights a year over the next three years, that's 12 fights, injuries permitting, etc. And he'll be 27 then in his physical prime, let's say. Who knows how good he might be? He'll be a completely different fighter than what he is now. And... So Matthew talking there about Campbell, 
you know, you got to remember Matthew and Ricky. They're, they're massively successful in their in their own careers. You know, you 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 be. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure you'll be conscious of pressures that Campbell might have and living up to and all this sort of bullshit that people make comparisons. Let the kid find his own feet. But if he really wants to do it, well, look, he, he ain't he ain't gonna go look any further than to have the two best people guiding his career in his dad and his uncle. Do you know what I'm saying? So. I'm going to be fascinated watching Campbell, but I've got to say, it didn't half make me feel old watching him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and again, Matt, you know, he sees things exactly like me. It's it depends on the fighter as well, and and the you know their ambitions. You do get some amateurs, some top amateurs, and they're looking towards the Olympic Games and stuff like that. That's never been the case for Campbell. I've never heard him mention about going to... He's always wanted to turn professional. Um, that's where... And he is better suited to the professionals. Um, he, you know, like Matt touched on there, the, the sports are very, very different, amateur boxing and professional boxing. And a lot of the characteristics that Matt touched on there, Campbell has in abundance. You know, technically, he still needs quite a lot of work. But the biggest thing with Campbell, he's got a lot of heart, a lot of determination, physically strong, um, very good body punch and attractive style to watch. So, like Matt touched on there, with someone who's had 300 amateur fights, it's very diff difficult to mould somebody because they've already set in the ways of how they like to do things. Again, you can make adjustments. But with Campbell, like he won the novices, he won the national novice title, he went from there to being being struggled who to match him with, really. And uh, last year, he boxed a couple of really good lads, over 70, 80 fights, only lost a handful, losing in great fights, you know, split decisions and stuff like that. So Campbell is better suited to the pros. I always used to say to him, you know, when he was, he was just falling short in the amateurs, you know, against really experienced guys, don't use that as an excuse, Campbell. You know, you, you will be better suited to the pros, but you've got to win these fights. But in reality, Campbell is better suited to the pros. Like I say, technically, he still needs a lot of work and a lot of guys that turn professional early. Um, sometimes they're lacking a bit of strength, um, you know, toughness. Campbell doesn't lack in, in those departments. So uh, it's more technical work that Campbell needs. It, it's really interesting to see that both, both kind of schools if you like come through because so I really enjoy amateur boxing really enjoy watching the top international tournaments and see them come through it's great but I also do really enjoy watching a fighter turn pro young who's been bred for pro boxing uh, me and Matt did Zelfa Barrett's fight against Eric Donovan for example and Zelfa is a really good example of that Pat Barrett um, has bred him for pro boxing we've, we've seen a lot of James Tennyson and he was a good amateur up in, in Belfast but Again, you watch how he fights and he was always bred for pro boxing. They go in there and they look for, they, they're looking to take you out. You know, they, they're not necessarily going to be gung-ho about it. They'll, they'll do it in an educated way, but, but they've got to make sure they don't get too impatient. It might come in the 12th round, it might come in the second round. But, you know, you, you can see a big difference there a lot of the time in the two, in the two, different, in the two different styles. Um, but it, I was thinking to myself, it must, when... when you're training Campbell at the minute and have done have been for the last few months. It must kind of make you laugh sometimes when you see someone or, or any kid in the gym who's really fresh and, you know, bright eyed and they're loving the training. They're loving everything about boxing. They turn over pro. They've done their medicals. They, you know, they're just loving life and boxing is just the best thing in the world. And you must sometimes just kind of laugh to yourself and just think, "Whoa, wow, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, 
I've always been very close with Campbell and, and I think the world of Campbell. Uh, and, you know, when you're training a fighter, you spend a lot of time with them, you know, a lot of time with them. And, and I always think you have to like the people that you train because you spend so much time with them. And Campbell, again, you know, biased, of course, because he's my nephew, but he's such a fun kid. You know, people are going to learn more and more about Campbell as he goes on, but he's such a such a character and, and good fun to, to have around the gym. And uh, one thing I like about Campbell, what's refreshing these days, you know, I've been coaching quite a long time now, and a lot of these fighters that come through, they don't seem to have the mental toughness or, or the desire and the, the hunger. Um, maybe I'm being unfair here as fighters, like in mine and Matt's days, that's something that I've certainly seen. And I think it's because, like say, myself and me and Matt have boxed at the very top level. We know what it, it takes to get there. Uh, we know the sacrifices you have to make. And it is frustrating when you don't see that in kids these days, which tends to happen more and more. You call them Instagram boxers. They're more bothered about what they look like on Instagram rather than getting down there, putting the work in. Uh, but Campbell's got a great attitude to training and, and that can only stand him in good stead. But great fun to be around in the gym. I, I, I really enjoy working with him. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see what to see what happens. I, I mentioned Zelfa there. Zelfa's kind of being touted by Matt Dreamers there. They want him to be their next big thing in Manchester, I think, after some some retirements in, in recent years. So I'd imagine those two are boxed on the same cards quite a lot, actually, when, when crowds come back to Manchester. So we will... Yes, we will follow it with with great interest. Matching him is going to be going to be interesting, isn't it? That that's an absolutely key thing. I mean, they used to say back in the day, didn't they? Twenty to learn and twenty to earn. Um, and if you turn pro young now, that's probably that's probably still the case. I mean, do you, do you look at what they've done with someone like Conor Ben and think, yeah, they've done well with him because we think they have done well with him because massive pressure to throw people into into big fights because of the surname and all sorts of other things. But they've stepped him up. I don't think they could really have done it any better so far. He's done his part. I mean, he's been in a couple of ones which were harder than they were supposed to be, particularly that fight against Pano, but they progressed him well. They've resisted that temptation. Yeah, Connor Ben. I've always liked Connor. I really have. From the first day I, I saw Connor, uh, I really like. I mean, I know he's got his haters and knockers, you know, that's purely because of who his father is. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a little help up sometimes. Um and that's going to be similar for, for Campbell. But at the end of the day, the great thing about boxing and the boxing public, you know, are intelligent people. Um, you, you can't fool them. They can see whether somebody's got it or not. And I really like Conor Ben. He's, he's, you know, fair play to match him. They've done a fantastic job. His trainer's done a fantastic job with him. And he's got better and better, like Matt touched on before, the limited amateur experience. And you can see he's learning on the job. Um, but one thing about it, you know, he's really put the, the hard work in, you know, he's really put the graft in. You can see the improvement. And in boxing, so, so key is that hunger. And, um, mate, Conor Ben looks very, very hungry to me. I really enjoy watching him. His hunger for success. And if he keeps doing what he's doing, keeps learning and, and improving at the rate, that again, that match touched on before, he's going to be a real wheel force. He really is. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really, but again, match room, uh, I've done a great job and uh, you might see something similar, you know, with, with Campbell. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
Okay, so we will change tack now and have a bit of a chat about about Canelo because it was, I'm guessing, well, I don't know how much notice you got for the fight, but if you got good notice for the fight, then this time last year, you would have been in the early stages of camp for your fight against Saul Alvarez, as practically nobody ever calls him these days, even though that is his name, um, because you took him on for the vacant WBC Super Welterweight title, 5th of March, uh, 2011. So just just fill us in a bit on the background of that fight. So, I mean, did you get good notice? How did it all happen? Yeah, I did. I got good notice for that. I, I defended my European title uh, about seven weeks earlier. Uh, my good friend, and again, I know he's a good friend of Matthews as well, Robert Diaz contacted me regarding fighting Canelo. Canelo was a huge star at the time, on the, at the start of his career. Um, I initially agreed to take the fight at um, 150 pounds, which is 10 stone 10, just above the welterweight limit. Um, so I got in training for that camp. We agreed terms on the money and things like that. So we, you know, so got in training for that camp. Then again, you know, boxing very political. Uh, I'd been in training probably about three or four weeks uh, for the fight. Uh, there was a few weeks to go to the fight. Golden Boy then contacted me and said that Manny Pacquiao was going to be stripped of his WBC light middleweight title. I could fight Alvarez um, for the vacant title, uh, but it would have to be at 10 stone 12, which again, after speaking to my team and things like that, we agreed to. Um, I then went over there for the fight. Um, there was different people coming to me saying that Alvarez wasn't going to make the weight and things like that. I was assured that he, he would make the weight. Uh, when the weigh-in eventually come, um, Alvarez didn't make the weight. Um, so again, there was a decision to be made there whether I could have, you know, walked away and still took a percentage of my purse. If I remember right, I mean, it was about 25-30% of my purse. But again, I spoke to the, the members of my team whether to, to to take the fight or not. And it just wasn't my my style to to shy away from a challenge. You know, we, we come to an agreement financially. Uh, I accepted the the fight and and the rest is is history but uh, again looking back you know great occasion um and uh, again through all my fights whenever i speak to anyone that's often the, the the fight that people still want to talk about yeah i remember it really really well i remember it really well and um to the point where i i had a little look back through it but um but i didn't watch it again in again in full and it's interesting what you said about the weight there I'd forgotten that I looked at the weights and thought it must have been set at 152 because he was 151 and a half you were 149 and a half so you were 10 9 and a half he was 10 11 and a half in the end and what what I remember about it Macklin is 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 Matt boxing really well but Alvarez just being so much bigger than him you know when they got in the ring on the night I don't know what he would have weighed if he was 10 if he was just under 11 stone, he weighed in at, which which was what he was. He was probably 12 plus, I'm guessing, on the night. Matt, you might know you might know better. And you were probably the same as what you'd weighed in at. So there was such a big difference there. And I just remember Matt stepping in with good, neat combinations. You, you, you weren't always on the back foot. You were always competitive. And they just bounced off him. And I remember just thinking to myself, that must be pretty demoralising. But, but he never let it kind of demoralise him. He just kept coming, kept coming. And, and it's a performance. And everybody loves one of these, if you're the one who's given it. It's a performance that has definitely got better with age. It's, it's aged well, hasn't it? You know, UD12 versus Saul Alvarez. It has, yeah. And, you know, it's different things. Like I've seen so much over the years, you know, there's uh, a lot of the times there's different tricks and, and they're always recycled and spun a different way, you know. 
Um, Alvarez never made the weight. Uh, we then had a clause where he could only put on £10 um, between then and the fight. Um, for whatever reason, they said they couldn't weigh him before the fight, so they weighed him at dinner time um, in the hotel. He got on the scales, he didn't have a stitch on, he was exactly £10 over. Um, then again, on the night of the fight, HBO weighed us both um, before we, we, we come out. And uh, I think there was £11 difference in weight. Um, before we come out, because I actually overheard my brother speaking to Billy Graham about it. I'm getting me, uh, I'm, I'm getting warmed up and things like that. And I overheard Ricky speaking to Billy Graham about it. He said, Jesus Christ, he's 11 pounds heavier than I'm, Matthew. And I overheard it and I thought, shit, I could have done without hearing that, to be honest, really. But I thought, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what, what can I do now? <laughs> so, uh, but again, it was, uh, again, very demoralizing when you're when you're fighting and, and you can't do anything to, to, to hurt. He was a lot bigger on me than I. It was like going into a fight with a pea shooter, but uh, I hung in there, mate, lasted the full 12. Well, I'm still on two power seat all a day now, mate. <laughs> but, but Macklin, it was, it, was, it was one to be proud of. I know that, that all pro athletes struggle to take pride in the defeat. It's just how you are. But, but I remember watching it and just thinking... There's a lot to be proud of there. This is, you know, gone over, taken the, taken the, the difficult job in every single possible way. And as I said, it's, it's aged well because he's boxed Ryan Rhodes since then, who took him into the 12th, but did get stopped. Liam Smith got stopped. Amir Khan got stopped. Rocky Fielding got stopped. You know, there's only one Brit who's, who's done the stretch with, with Canelo, who's now rated as probably the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Yeah, look, you know, in boxing, there's there's legendary names. And if you can, you know, how many people do you, do you hear talking? I mean, I, I used to hear growing up in small league boxing club about a guy called Kid Myler, who you've probably never heard of. But they're like, oh, we fought Eubank, we fought Ben, we fought one of them, or maybe we fought both, I can't remember, but he definitely fought one of them. And it was like, oh, yeah, he fought Eubank and he fought Ben. It wasn't like, oh, we beat Joe Bluggs at the uh, Birmingham Town Hall. Do you know what I mean? Even though he lost those fights, he fought guys that, were big names and went on and achieved so much. And legends, let's say so, you know, listen, I, I know what I thought when I was fighting Golovkin. Now, I didn't go the distance. I got stopped and, you know, I've told you the, the build-up and all the bullshit before and everything. But I remember one of the things thinking when I was going to do the fight was, look, he had that experience. All right, he is as an amateur. But as a pro, he's, he's gone through everyone. You know, if I can just jump on him and take him into a dog fight and get it, obviously this didn't happen, by the way, but me, me, me thinking when I was thinking about doing it was, if I can, you know, jump on him, just make it a, you know, hellacious for the, you know, five or six rounds. And you never know, try and drag him down to my level because if I stay off him, which I ended up doing, you know, we're playing into his hands. But anyway, I remember thinking, you know, I was at the end of my career, really, and I remember thinking, you know, if I win, I win. Don't even have to go there with that. But if I lose and it's a good fight, blah, 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 and he goes on to become a legend, you know, I'll be glad I took that fight, you know. So, you know, Canelo has gone on to become a legend, you know, so, and Matt went in there, gave a load of weight around, uh, away, which was, which shouldn't happen, but it's the way they moved the goalposts to the last minute. And when you're the power that be, like they are, you can always manipulate those conditions. You see, you know, Mayweather used to do it. You know, Canelo's doing it now, still doing it. You know, and what are you going to do? You're going to walk away. You've trained hard. People have travelled over to watch your box. You're getting a nice few quid. You think you're a warrior. You're a fighter. You're going to fight. And they know that, you know, so they know they can push those little things. But he went in there and he did a great job. As 
And the thing with Matthew, and it's going back to that thing, it's like, he was a, Matt, Matt didn't have a lot of amateurs, but I know he, he, he was a good amateur. He'd beaten some decent kids, and he'd, um, I think he'd won the novices and things like that. But he hadn't had 200 amateur fights. I, don't, I wouldn't say he even took it massively serious at that point, but we talked about activity. When he turned pro, nine fights a year, eight fights a year, it's a solid five, six fights a year every year for a long time. He was constantly fighting, constantly sparring, constantly learning and developing. And actually, I don't think Billy Graham was probably, from a style point of view, the trainer for Matt, but him and his brother were close and they were always going to train together. But I actually think in later years, when he bucks, when he kind of found his style more, and went a bit more with, you know, Lee, Lee Beard and these type of guys. It was very much kind of jab, bucks, that kind of thing, speed. I, I think he he excelled in those last few fights. Because, I mean, even, you know, look, he lost to Canelo. But like you said, Canelo's a legend. Canelo's still the, the legend in boxing. He's the number one sports star. He's number one superstar in boxing. And you've got to go back a while. You know, like you say, Matt, Matt went the distance. So I, I, I'm guessing that when any time Canelo fights... You know, Matt's got a sense of pride. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Absolutely. I've dined out a few times on that, Matt, let me tell you. <laughs> And long may it continue. <laughs> well, quite right, quite right. So, when what was it like though, sharing the ring with him? His his, his reputation at that point was was already pretty huge. Um, his fight against you was his thirty seventh professional fight, and in two thousand and eleven, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but he would have been twenty, maybe nineteen, twenty, something like that. He turned pro when he was fifteen, which, as we know, is not that unusual for for Mexican fighters. But there was an enormous amount of 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 noise around him was he better at that stage than two questions I guess was he better than you thought he would be and were you expecting him to go on and do what he's now done um he was better than I thought he was and yeah after the ring I thought he could do after the fight I thought he could go on and do some great things I mean I knew he was a big star uh, before I went over there I was quite surprised, really, at quite how big of a star he was even then. I mean, the 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 publicity surrounding him was uh, was amazing, really. And from the very first bell, literally within two minutes, I thought, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a long night. You know, such a such a good punch picker, very very heavy handed. You know, I'd always sparred with with bigger guys and and uh, more experienced guys. But the physical strength of him uh, was just incredible, really. Freakishly strong. Um, so, yeah, it, it hasn't really surprised me uh, what he's gone on to achieve because I, I knew literally being in the ring with him um, after a couple of minutes that he was a special, special fighter, I really did. 
I was just, I was just laughing there as you, um, as you described that after two minutes, you thought, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a long night because this is something that I don't know. It just always, it always amuses me because I, I didn't box and I'm definitely not going to start now, but I've always just thought that of all sports with boxing, you like, you think you could get in there and think, Oh God, like he's even better than I've been told he was. Or you get in there and against someone who's supposed to be a big puncher and you're thinking, ah, it'll be fine. And then he lands one and you think, oh, Christ. You know, I've got, I've got another 10 or 12 rounds of this. Mate, I'm, get, I'm getting a, ba- a bit of a dab on just thinking back now. <laughs> it just must be, it, it must be a bizarre feeling, a bizarre <laughs> feeling. But you, you just, just all be- dig in and get on with it. Um, so so let's have a chat about the, about the fight on Saturday. We've got Robert Diaz coming up later in the week, actually. Um, one of the... The Kingpins are a golden boy and, and Canelo's not with them any longer, of course, but he was for a very long time and there's all sorts of interesting things to talk to him about. The situation that Callum's in, uh, Matt you can You can ask Robert about Matthew, actually, if you want a few stories on Matthew. He's been there to witness a few as well. Well, this is going to be a great week. This is going to be a great <laughs> week. Um, and these two guests, by the way, actually, no, you were my idea. Um, Robert Diaz was, was his idea. So, you know, more for him, more for him. Yeah, I'd, I'd have never dragged Matthew Hatton out of the closet. I'd have kept him there and have buried that past. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Um, but with 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 Canelo against Callum Smith, it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of the opposite situation to the one that to the one that that Matt was in because Callum is naturally the bigger fighter. Canelo's team are talking about super middleweight being his best weight now. I don't really buy that. Surely he's still a middleweight, really. Or maybe he's just kind of stuck in between the two a little bit. But Callum Smith is naturally the bigger man here. No question. He's much taller. He's got the reach that comes with that. He's got a lot of of advantages here when you look at it on paper. And he is a very good fighter and he's undefeated. But having said all of that, I do find it difficult to see how he can win. Macklin, you first. I mean, what, what do you, how, how do you see it? Well, well look, you know, the, listen, Canelo is the number one um, star in boxing, no doubt, right? And, and he's even getting better. You know, even though I looked him, look, watched him there lately, you know, that second fight with, uh, when I seen him against, sorry, Danny Jacobs, you know, his upper body movement was just phenomenal. His jab, everything. Um, look, there are weight divisions for a reason. I think Callum Smith, is the best super middleweight in the world, you know, and, and probably can go up and win a world title at light heavyweight. He's huge. And he, and he's a top fighter. Then you get the special fighters, don't you? You know, these, the best fight, you know, the best pound for pounders. And that's Canelo. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think Canelo is a super middleweight. I think, I think he's, I think middleweight would still be his best weight. Um, but, you know, the thing with Callum Smith as well, he's not only tall, good, technically well-schooled boxer, all the rest of that undefeated. You know, he hits fucking hard and he can fight on the inside. Like, he can, you know, he, he can really fight on the inside. Um, I think this is going to be as, as, as hard a fight as this is for Callum Smith. I think this is one of Canelo's hardest fights. You know, I think this is going to really uh, stretch him, you know, could he, could he end up just being a little bit too good and a little bit too fast and it's experience and all the rest of it? Yeah, that, that could happen. But I, I, I think also Canelo could end up getting the fucking shock of his life when he's in there with Callum Smith as well, when they come together. And, you know, Callum Smith can really fight on the inside. He's, he's naturally a lot bigger than Canelo. 
And, um, you know, he's got the, he'll have the confidence of an undefeated fighter. I think he's going to have the confidence against Canelo that a lot of fighters probably haven't really had. You know, they've got there, they've got into the fight, but really they're thinking, shit, I mean, I can't win this. I don't, I don't think that Callum Smith will feel that. I think that Callum Smith will feel, I can, I can win this. And Matt, this is the biggest kind of occasion in in world boxing. You would say the Canelo fight is the fight. AJ fans might might argue differently, but I think in global terms that Canelo is is the number one attraction now that, that Mayweather, um, who we saw at ringside on Saturday, has has, has shuffled off the, the pro boxing scene. So this is this is one of those he needs to step up and really produce on the absolutely biggest stage and on his biggest night so far, Callum Smith, you would say that that's when he's been at his at his best. It, it, does he strike you as, as as that kind of a performer, the kind of person who who the bigger the the bigger the stakes, the better he'll be? Absolutely, and you know, let's you know, Callum Smith is a really good fighter. You know, very experienced, and he's been around the whole setting before, hasn't he? When he, his brother Liam uh, boxed Canelo, so it won't be a surprise to him. Again, Callum Smith is a really, really good fighter. You know, there's an argument, say, you, you could put Callum in the top 10 pound-for-pound pound list. Uh, you know, an excellent fighter. Got some really, really big wins um, on his record. He's got a great team around him. Very experienced. So, like Matt said, you know, this is a fight Callum will go into very, very confident uh, of winning. Uh, it's a great, great fight. Great matchup. And one I'm really, really looking forward to. I mean, again, you know, sort of like, I think I'm with you on this one, Andy. You know, I I really like Callum Smith. I think he's a really good fighter again. You know, one of the best pound-for-pounders out there. He's he's sort of, you know, reigned supreme at his own weight division. Uh, He's got some great wins on on, on his record. Um, And around them kind of weights, apart from Alvarez, uh, he's the best fighter out there for me. Um, does he beat Alvarez? Again, I'm with you. I, I just think style-wise, you know, Callum, even though he's tall, rangy, he does like to fight on the inside. You know, could that be his, his undoing? I think it's going to be a great fight to watch. Tall, you know, very long body, lot of target for Alvarez to go at. The last time you seen Callum against a shorter fighter with good head movement, John Ryder, um, you know, he, he sort of like struggled a little bit in that fight. So, I hope I'm wrong. You know, most people I speak to about this fight, really excited the fight. A lot of people, you know, like Matt, very experienced, very knowledgeable people, giving Callum a really good good chance in this fight. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. I really don't. I, 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 do, I do feel strongly about an Alvarez win. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. And, and I feel like, a, you know... <clears throat> I feel like a bit of a traitor almost. For, yeah, same, same. For, for, for not writing off someone who's got, who brings so much to the table, but I just think beating him on points and, you know, we shouldn't really ever have this conversation in a way because everything should be above board and fair. But I think beating a star attraction like that on points anywhere in the USA, this isn't Las Vegas, but it's still Texas. I think you're going to have to win eight rounds clearly to get that decision. That's not how it should be, but let's be real. And, if you can't do that, you're going to have to stop him. And we saw him. We've never seen him hurt. We've never seen him hurt. And he's been hit hard. Golovkin absolutely cracked him a few times and he just walked through it. You get fighters who at the, I mean, they're very few and far between, but they probably come around every generation where when they're at the absolute top of their game, 
they're probably untouchable, you know, for a period of time, whether that's six months, a year, two years. There's probably a period in their career where they're untouchable, where they can't be beaten. And maybe Canelo's at that phase now. That That is possible. Um, what I will say with Callum Smith, I, I give Callum Smith as good a chance of beating him as anyone that's for him, with exception probably to Golovkin. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would agree. I mean, I, I think it's probably, except for maybe the third fight with Golovkin, um, this is the most difficult fight that, that Canelo could have could have taken. Hopefully that third fight with hopefully Callum Smith beats him and then and then we'll see what happens from there. And and God I'd be absolutely I do actually feel that Billy Joe gives him problems too because of the style, because of his movement, the southpaw, the speed, how, how, how cute Billy Joe is. I think, funnily enough, they're, they're, they're both from the UK, but for Callum Smith and Billy Joe, for different reasons, I think have got as good a chance. If anyone's going to beat Canelo right now, I think they're, they're up there, they're in that mix. And, you know, I, I actually think I'd probably give both of those two a better chance with Canelo now than what I would give Golovkin in the third fight because I think Golovkin's done. And, and I loved Golovkin as a fighter, you know, and I fought him. But obviously, as even as a boxing fan, I, I used to love watching him after that. And I thought he got robbed in the first Canelo fight. I don't. The second one was fair. But I think a third fight, I think Canelo wins clear. Matt's, Matt's hit the nail on the head. You know, I was just thinking, you know, when looking at this fight and looking at the other guys out there, Styles make fights, um, and I do think Callum Smith will will suit Alvarez's style. I do think the the person out there who who could test Alvarez um, the most is Billy Joe with a with a foot speed. I think it, you know he hasn't got many many faults, Alvarez. You know his feet aren't the fastest, and I do think a style like like Matt's touched on there with Billy Joe with the movement. Um, I think that is the style to beat Canelo. I really do, and uh, I think Callum's style will suit Alvarez. You know, I think the person out there who, who gives Alvarez the most trouble is, is Billy Joe Saunders. Am I saying that Callum Smith, Billy Joe Saunders, is a better fight than Callum Smith? No, I'm not. But it's just styles, and I think that's a style that would really trouble him. Well, he had a few problems with Erislandi Lara, didn't he? And he's a similar kind of fighter, Cuban fighter, good mover, um, a little bit awkward. And yeah, I mean, it's, I've always, Saunders is one of those fighters like Fury, who I would never back against with complete confidence, whoever they were fighting. I just think that the inactivity over the last two or three years with Saunders, if he then stepped into a really elite level fight and it doesn't get any more elite than that, I think that in the end that would, that, that would, that would tell. Um, and that maybe if they'd boxed a couple of years ago, that would have, when he would have had his absolute best chance. But um so that's the that's the uh, the official kind of boxing chat brought to an end now. So this is this is kind of onto part three, which I guess we could call Macklin Nights, you know, something like that. It's got a nice little kind of ring to it. Uh, so how did you two first meet? Let's let's set a bit of a scene for this for this for this uh, for this next section. Well, we. I first met Matt. Um, Matt was just turning professional. Um, he, he was a stellar amateur, Matthew. And, uh, you know, when he turned professional, you know, um, there, was, there was a lot of uh, publicity surrounding Matthew. Um, I can't remember who contacted who, but I just turned professional at the time, had a handful of tight fights, uh, and we contacted each other. Um, and I went down to Birmingham sparring with um, with Matthew and, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. We got on really well. We got some good rounds sparring with Matthew. I was so impressed with him. Such a good quality fighter. 
But we just really hit it off from them. We kept in touch, and uh, eventually we become uh, we become gym mates when he when he come down to Manchester and joined Billy Graham, and we become really really good friends and and had some good times together. You know, we'd be together in the gym and and we socialised out of the gym as well. So. Uh, no, really good times. But yeah, that's how we initially mate. I went down to Birmingham Spine with Matthew. So let's let's get the let's 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 address Mumbergate first because I think I think Macklin Gate, uh, Macklin's take fans will be will be anxious to um to hear your version of events of events here, Matthew. So this has been discussed at length on this podcast. John Pegg was the first man to bring it up. This would have been last year at some point. Maybe the first time we went to see John at Eastside in, in Birmingham and those two know each other really, really well. And I had no idea about this story that um, that Matt was boxing in in Dublin. He was on a show in Dublin and John Duddy, I think, it was... hard as well, actually. Just, it was before May with a hat and, and Matt did a, an eight-rounder on the card too. And, um, of course, that we both won and everyone's back in the hotel having a drink. And <clears throat> by this time, Matt would have seen me perform <laughs> a few times prior to this. <laughs> So he was, wouldn't have been in any great shock as the night transpired. <laughs> <laughs> That's right there. You know, uh, I remember um, it was Brian Peters who, who was promoting the show. Um, Matthew Macklin and, and, and uh, John Duddy was on the bill. I boxed an eight-rounder uh, myself. And uh, like I say, I, I always had good support. We took uh, a load of people over from Manchester to... Uh, to uh, to to Dublin, and and by this time, me and Matt were good friends. You know, we'd been out a few times together. I'd got friends with uh, a few of Matt's friends as well, and some of some of Matt's friends, real real characters, some some really good laughs over the years. All lunatics, birds, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> I'm just looking at the I'm looking at the card now. So yeah, absolutely, as you say, you had a fight against uh, a fighter called Samuli Lepiaho. Uh, Macklin, you were in with Alessio Furlan, and it was John Duddy top of the bill against against Prince against Prince Aaron. So the story goes, as John Pegg tells it, that um, you know you've all won. You're back in the you're back in the hotel socialising later on, and Samantha Mumba, who was a prominent kind of pop star at that point, um, was there, and she took a shine to Macklin. You know, she was she was. Very interested in Macklin. Macklin, though, was a lot more interested, as, as John described it, as uh, engineering some kind of bromance with, with John Duddy. And uh, as a result, this uh, it just never went anywhere. And, and people just couldn't quite believe this when, when, when they heard the news. That Firstly, that Samantha Mumba was interested in Macklin. That came as a kind of seismic shock to most people. But the fact that he then just managed to, to display no interest whatsoever was, was, was even, even, well, bewildering. I was I in did, deep conversation, and when you're in deep conversation, the topic of that conversation is way more important than any few words. I don't think Matt's one of Matt's best mate was doing him any favours as well. He was screaming and bawling from the bar. I think that was putting him off a touch. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a bit that John forgot to mention. My pal of mine, Campbell, who Matt knows and admit. He didn't half derail it as well because he started <laughs> slagging her off and she's got the right hump with him. And then that I'm, I'm trying to like calm her down because she was going mental at him and he was just egging it on more. And, you know, that definitely played a part. <laughs> hey, as far as cock blocking goes, he did a tremendous job, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it does it does definitely sound like, you know, you had a, you had a lot of fun outside of the gym. I mean, is, is that something that... 
possibly now is a little bit lost. I mean, there are there are levels to that game, like there is to like there is to everything. But you do need. But, to but let me off. just tell you, we're talking about levels. We were fucking elite level. We were pound <laughs> pound. You know what I mean? Let me tell you, <laughs> oh, at that level. So you know, maybe it's not a bad thing that today's fighters don't seem to play as hard as what we did. But I don't think I'd. I look back, would have changed it? I don't know. It, it was good times, weren't there? We had a great gym, you know, at the time. There was myself, Ricky in the gym, Matthew, obviously, Paul Smith was in the gym, Steve Bell, Bobby Rimmer, all real characters. And we used to socialise away from the gym, you know. when Gomez. We, yeah, Michael Gomez, of course. Um, but when we was in the gym, we and not being funny, we, we was all elite fighters, you know. We worked so hard in that gym. We had a great atmosphere. But then again, we'd, we'd play hard after the fight, you know. Uh, looking back now, I, I do look back with a with a smile. Some some great times. What a change! It no, you'd like to think you 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 learn from it. Although my friends and family will probably tell you that they're not so sure whether I've learned from it. But you know, great times, and uh, we we all become great friends. We work hard uh, in the gym. We'd go away together. We'd go on holiday on trips together. And uh, looking back, you don't sort of like realise at the time, but there was great, great days. And, and I look back with a with a smile on my face and, and I know I certainly wouldn't change it. Well, so I'm, we... I'm, I'm, I'm five and a half years off the drink, so that's how much I tore the arse out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we are going to need you, though. We are going to need you to to pick out a couple of highlights, though, maybe, Matt. We, we're going to... That's that, I'm going to have to ask you to do that because we've kind of talked around the subject so far. And uh, I don't know, maybe... You know, you can see Macklin on the screen there. He might, he might give you the quick abort signal if uh, if you pick one, which uh, which he's not too he's not too well, happy with. There was another um, after after me me brother's big fights. We, we'd always have a, a a day in the pub after we'd all get together, and we had a fancy dress day. Uh, one day we we all turned up in in. I think Ricky was a Spice Girl. Um, Matt was dressed up as Batman. Michael Gomez was there. He was his his right hand man, Robin and. What a right-hand man to have at the side of you there. Um, and we was all in the pub. And as you can imagine, a lot of the time we used to box on the same card uh, on a few of the bills. There was a, quite a few of us on, on the card. So you can imagine, you know, we, we both used to, you know, we used to do eight, ten weeks with, without a drink, working really hard. And, you know, boxing's, um, you know, a stressful game, you know, big anticipation uh, before a fight. And when you get the fight out of the way, you have a good performance. Hopefully, it is a release, and you can let off a little bit of steam. And uh, we certainly used to used to let off a, a little bit of steam. And we was in the local pub, and then we was moving on. Um, and I remember turning up at this pub. The taxi picked me up, and uh, he was chatting away. Obviously, everyone knew me around there, local. And he was like, "Jesus Christ, Matt, what's going on?" He said, "He said it's chaos coming here." He said, "I've just had been Batman and Robin in the back seat, carnage." He said before I dropped him off, uh, and I was laughing to myself because that was Matt and Michael Gomez, uh, of course. Uh, uh, but no, we had some great times, some uh, some great laughs, and and Matt's already worded me up. I can't throw him under the bus. We're good friends. I can't do that to him. But just... uh, we had some great times. You really did. I just thinking there, Matt, Matt, me and Gomez, Batman and Robin, a match made in heaven or a match made in hell. <laughs> it's an well, alarm. This was about thought. five o'clock in the afternoon when the taxi drivers. What happened to him later on, mate? God knows. It's it's an alarming thought. 
Uh, you know, I'll, give, I'll give a little bit. I can spill the beans on myself a little bit on this one. I'll keep it, you know, short. <clears throat> what happened with that one? Ricky Hatton had, Ricky had fought Ben Tacky on the Saturday night. Matt had boxed on the card. The whole gym had. But Gomez had only beaten Arthur, Alex Arthur, in the October, I think it was. And I'd lost to Andrew Face in November. And obviously, I'd come up to Manchester and I was, I was just getting into things. And so me and Mike, because he didn't have a fight and I didn't have a fight and everyone else was boxing on the, the Ben Tacky card. We obviously paddled each other up and, you know, a fisherman spots another fisherman. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyway, we, 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 we didn't have any clubber for the fancy dress. So on the day of the fight, me and my meeting town, and we ended up going into the fancy dress shop and we couldn't find anything. Anyway, we seen this Batman and Robin suit and I thought, fuck it, that'll do, that's ideal. But as it worked out, especially me being taller than Mike and everything, it looked fucking comic colours coming into the boozer late as well. So we've come in late. They've all had a few points. We, you know, you're hitting the boozer and everyone's half steamed and you're sober. It's horrible, isn't it? So we've got in there. I'm off the drink at this point. I'm 21 years old and I already know at this point I shouldn't drink. You know, I'm sworn off it from the last bender I've done in Birmingham. So I'm going in there. I'm sticking it out for an hour or two. Anyway, Bobby River comes up to me at one point. He goes, Matt, what are you doing? I had a can of Diet Coke in my hand. You're going to have a drink. And I said, oh, Bob, I'd love to get clattered, but I, you know, I can't. He goes, Matt, get fucking clattered. Grabbed the can out of my hand and threw it on the floor. And I thought, well, he's my trainer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I've gone to the bar. Next thing I know, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a point. Then I'm, next thing I've had three, I've got two or three power shandies lined up. I've swallowed them. So an hour later, I'm, on the, I'm in this boozer in Hattersley. I don't know anyone. I'm doing the fucking caterpillar in a back dancing. I'm break dancing. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. Anyway, let me tell you, that night was, you know, one of them that we speak about when we see each other, but not on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobby Rim is someone we definitely want to get on. We, we had plans you to do to, that. You need to... Again, Bobby is Bobby's another uh, another who's Bobby's not had a, a drink for a good few years now. But you know, like you say, some of the real characters uh, in boxing, and Bobby Rimmer is one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Again, I used to go down. Bobby owned a pub in, in Gorton at the time, and uh, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, casting, I'm, casting right, I'm I'm casting the right picture myself here, right? So I used to go down to Bobby's pub in Gorton and. He was one of them guys, mate. You get a few pints in him, just sit back and watch the show. So, so funny. So funny. <laughs> it was there. Uh, and he, I actually ended up moving above and living above that flat at that pub, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you had Gomez in there with you, didn't you? Again. Oh, that is, I mean, that, that you couldn't, you know. I think there was another story where they was having a bath together, but I think that's that's all we need to say on that one. <laughs> <laughs> telling, very, each other, telling each other how good they were with it. <laughs> the very, the very <laughs> idea of, of Matthew Macklin and Michael Gomez living together in the first place is fairly alarming, but above a pub, I mean in the that, bath that's... together as well. <laughs> but that 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 Manchester scene between I don't know that kind of decade. First decade of, of the new millennium for like 2000 no, no, to 2010. Sure, I've just thought of this and I might forget. So me and Jamie Moore had that fight, didn't we? It was a ding-dong. You know, I'm in hospital the night. He's coming in the hospital the next day. You know, both camps knew each other well. 
Matt, Matt had come in to see me in the hospital the next morning, and my dad was coming out. And Jamie was there, and I let Matt tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you talking about your dad now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, fell, yeah. Fell on, the, fell on the floor. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be okay with his bone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly wasn't a chewing gum, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was again. It was after after Matthew for uh, Jamie. Um, like I say again, got to say because he's he, he's here now. Matt probably one of the best fights I've been to live without a shadow of a doubt. I think that fight again. Fortunately, it was two of my gym mates. The, the fight with Matthew um, and and Jamie Moore and another great guy, uh, Michael Gomez, Alex Arthur. Actually, being in the crowd, uh, being there. Two of the best fights, the, the, the best two fights I've ever seen live. So um, went to see um, Matthew in the hospital the next day, um, and we was we was there having a laugh like we had we are now. And, he, and his dad was there, and I can't remember what happened, but um, <laughs> he dropped a Viagra on the floor. It just fell out of his pocket, mate. What he'd been up to, God knows. And he, he seen it there, and I think everybody's seen it. And rather than just to say to say I put it out there, mate, and everyone's seen it. And uh, mate, what 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 colour red he went? I don't know what 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 you used to summarise that colour, but mate, it was funny. But again, just chatting here now, been some great great stories over over the years. It really has. What was so funny about it though was he hit the floor. He knew he dropped it. We all knew he dropped it, but no one was saying anything. We're all thinking, is no one going to say anything? And then the next week, Matthew Matthew Hatton goes, "Yeah, Shay, was she dropped something there?" <laughs> Um, what I was just about to say was what I was just starting to say was that that Manchester boxing scene in 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 the early 2000s, say 2000 to, to 2010, that decade, just to just to be kind of neat about it. I mean, that was just an unbelievable time, wasn't it? You look at you look at the fighters who were around and the support they got yourself and your brother, Jamie Moore, as you mentioned, of course, um, Gomez, uh, Michael Brody, Anthony Farnell. Someone like a young Anthony Crawler was 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 a really sort of young pro coming through um, during that during that time. It was just sometimes you get this kind of perfect storm, don't you? Where you would all go in to watch each other's fights, and you're all supporting each other. You're on the same bills a lot of the time, and then it all culminated with the kind of American trips for Ricky, of course, which provided scenes which I just cannot see being repeated in terms of the number of people who who went. I mean. Was there a real sense with, from everybody that was involved that you were caught up in something there which was just, it was unbelievable, and the like of which just would not be seen again. So you've got to make sure that you enjoy this. Yeah, we, we all, like you say, around that scene, and Matthew was located in Manchester at Billy Graham's gym. And again, if as I'm sure, you know, Matthew watches his old fight. We all had great support. Matthew had great support in Birmingham. Myself and Ricky always had good support. But again, we all had the support of each other. We we all sort of become friends. Um, I know Matthew and, and Jamie was friends before before they fought, and and even more so after. Um, you look back at my old fights, Matthew's old fights, Ricky's. If you look in the crowd, you know, and you look a little bit deeper, the front maybe the first four or five rows, you'd see all of the, the different fighters there to support each other. So as you've touched on, Andy, you know, great, great times. 
And uh, Manchester's one of them cities. I mean, you do get certain cities, but Manchester's a city that really, you know, they love the boxing. They, they've always had good fighters, um, always support, you know, the MEN. Like I say, when you get a good atmosphere in there, it really takes some beating. And, um, you know, the, the voice there for someone to, to fill that gap. Maybe young Campbell, who knows? But going back, yeah, we, we was all friends. It was great time. It was a golden era for Manchester boxing. But the most pleasing part about the whole thing was how, how all the fighters supported each other. They didn't necessarily need to be from the same camp, you know, but the same area. And we was always there backing each other and supporting each other. Yeah, that, that Matt Macklin, that that's always come kind of come through for me. Is is the the word different gyms, of course, but there was that real sense of of camaraderie, which which often in boxing is quite unusual because you'll get you'll get it within a gym because you're all there training every day, and uh, some people need that more than others because they like to try and recreate the the, the team atmosphere. Although you're always by yourself uh, ultimately on the night, but to have that kind of relationship between different gyms um i don't know really whether that exists in liverpool it could do because liverpool and manchester um i think are very similar places uh, i know that the inhabitants of each one would probably might disagree but i think they are i think they're very similar um but it, it was it just did seem like a period in, in history which is you know to have been a part of it is just just tremendous i mean you know what, what a thing to be able to say no there were great times i mean <clears throat> I travelled around a lot in my boxing, you know, I was time in America, I was in LA, I was in New York. So I, I got used to being lonely, you know, I, I know I could deal with loneliness. But I have to say, when I was in Manchester, straight away, it very much was a home away from home, you know. And it, one, it's only a couple of hours up the road, but, he, but just that gym, you know, but Matthew Hatton mentioned Bobby Rimmer. Bobby Rimmer is one of the warmest, nicest, funniest people you'll ever meet. When I met Bobby, like, like I say, that time he grabbed the Diet Coke, threw it on the floor, said, man, get clattered. But he then said to me, you know, like the next day or whatever it was, because I was at the time I was commuting from Bradford because a friend of mine, uh, traveling kid, Terry Fletcher, who I've told you about Andy, I was, I, I was staying on the traveling site with him. I was here with Terry. We boxed for England together. So I was literally commuting it from Bradford to Birmingham because it was nearer, but... Bobby said to me, Matt, what are you doing that drive for? He said, you can move in with me, you know, move in with me for, for, for the next eight weeks till you find somewhere a bit more permanent. And I did. I lived with Bobby Room, I think it was, I don't know, probably about 10 weeks up to the first fight and a bit past it. It was one of the best 10 weeks of my life. <laughs> I'd literally get up, we'd have breakfast, we'd go to the gym, I'd come back. And he'd have, you know, on his sky plan at that time, he'd have all our subs with Bobby it was the best laugh I'd ever had in my life. So from this point, from suddenly being away from home, I didn't feel like I was away from home. I felt, I felt massive. I just felt like I was adopted. You know what I mean? Like in even the crack in the gym, all the, Matthew, Ricky, both, like he says, Campbell will be funny. I can guarantee you will be funny because you have to be funny. When you're around people that are always slagging and playing pranks and are dry, you've got to have that quick sense of humour. Otherwise you keep looking stupid every day. You know what I mean? He's so, just walked in, Campbell, actually. I'm surprised he's not usually tried to ship myself up. Ship me up. That's his usual trick. He must have spotted you guys were on. You know, Billy Graham, who I wouldn't say he's witty in the way that Matthew and Ricky are or Bobby, but he's insanely funny just by being himself. Do you know what I mean? Because he's mad. Steve Bell, another one. Steve Bell, you know. Steve was a really good, good, a good amateur. Um but again, just so funny. Some of the things he used to do. 
I mean, I think someone was conducting an interview once in there one time, Sky Sports, and he just come come walking out of the changing rooms, Bollico and just strolled past in here. I can't remember who's being interviewed now. But the things that were going on in that gym, it, I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, we've, we've touched on a few there. Um, a few of the things, you know, we'll have to keep back for ourselves. But, you know, we I think we had that right, right blend of, of working hard, but enjoying ourselves again. And, you know, Boxing is a hard, brutal sport, as as Matt's touched on there. But we used to have such a laugh. I remember some Matt will tell you, we used to finish training, we'd be absolutely knackered, give it 110%. And we'd sit down, Kerry would be there, Bobby, myself, Ricky, Billy, and stuff like that. We'd sit down and we'll have a we'd have a cup of tea after training, talk about training, fights, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we'd still be there two hours later, drinking tea, just having a laugh, just talking, different stories. The stories would get a little bit better each time. What they met with the older <laughs> lying table, like everyone putting a bit of icing on. But you know, great time. Like I say, we'd finish training, work hard. We'd still be there two hours later. We'd have about five or six cups of tea, just talking. We all become great friends and, and really fond memories of that period. What, what I find really interesting about it too is is it's the kind of approach, if you like, there, there are different approaches in, in boxing when it comes to building fan bases, build, which are fundamental to building careers, uh, building profiles. It's how you endear yourself to promoters as if you can sell an arena out of, of any size. And then that endears you to TV. You've got to be able to fight. I mean, there's, there's no getting past that. You'll have to prove that at some point. But that's what you all manage to do. And... Every single one of those Manchester fighters we've mentioned, that's what you all managed to do. And one of the reasons that you managed to do that was because you were all very normal and all very approachable. And people might see you in the pub on a night out a bit the worse for wear, having, you know, just, just having fun. And that would be one of the reasons why they would decide that they wanted to come and watch you. And not just one of you, all of you, because a lot of the same people would go and see all of these people, all of these people fight. You get some fighters, particularly now, and I'm not knocking it, it's each to their own, but they they couldn't sell out their, their front room because people don't know them. They don't know who they are and they've got no real access to their personality. People say that social media is a window to that now. It can be, but, but it also can't be. It depends how you use it. Um, I mean, my long-winded point really is that quite a lot of people said about about... A lot of those fighters I've mentioned that, oh, if they looked after themselves better and their refueling hadn't been quite so unorthodox at times, they could have done even better. And people say it about your brother, don't they? But Oh, he, he was certainly an unorthodox refueler. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if he hadn't been, he wouldn't have been what he was, would he? You know, do you see what I mean? He wouldn't have had the support that he had if... He hadn't done it the way he'd done it. So there's a, you all did it right, I think. You know, it's it's, but it's horses for courses. Yeah, I mean, looking back, you know, I used to look up to my brother, as all siblings do. And, uh, you know, when he was turning, well, he, I turned professional and he was, the, you know, he, he was a few years into his career. And a lot of times, you know, the younger sibling will, will follow, will follow the, um, will follow, sorry about that, will follow the, uh, the, the, the older sibling, and uh, I used to watch Ricky and I used to think, oh, this this must be the way to do it. This must be the way to go in between fights. And, and looking back now, I think, Jesus Christ, what what was I doing? But um, all a lesson. But I know exactly what you're touching on, Andy. I think it's important that fighters be themselves. Social media does give you that outlet to do it. I mean, it's a fine line now, isn't it? You know, 
things very professional now. You've got to be careful what you put on social media. You've got to be careful what you say. And I know we spoke about him a lot today. I've touched on it with Campbell because I think sometimes you can run the risk of, again, if you're not in control of everything, of becoming a robot. Um, and when people, you know, when I'm talking about Campbell, I always encourage Campbell to just be himself. He doesn't need to worry about anything like that. He's not like that anyway. Campbell, just be yourself and people will want you and people will get behind you. But again, social media is good, used in the right way. But you do see it a lot these days. You don't really get to find out too much about the fighter. Um, they become more like robots. You know, they care very careful about what they say and do. Um, so it's a fine, fine line, isn't it? But um, I just encourage Campbell to, to be himself. And I think you're right, Andy. I think looking back then, yeah, we do things a little bit different and maybe tone it down a little bit. Um, but I think we had it right. You know, you can relate to people and you can choose who you get behind and who you support. I can just say, thank God there was no social media when I was fighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, ca camera phones probably weren't quite as sophisticated as they are now. So capturing images wasn't, wasn't as easy to do as it is, as it is currently. But, um, Okay, well, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll wind it up there. This has been this has been very very good fun. And as I said, we'll watch with great interest to see what happens what happens with Campbell. But following a journey through from the start is is always fascinating. And and the comparison I drew earlier was Conor Ben because I've I've commentated on quite a lot of his fights and I've seen him go from quite a gung ho kind of 18, 19 year old, which is exactly what you should be when you're that age if you're not going to be gung ho about your your chances and dream really big then, then, you know, when will you? Um, but did you see kind of like the change when you realise just what professional boxing is like and what it's all about? It's just really, it's really kind of, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. I mean, when you started, did you, did you have any idea, you know, what, what lay ahead of you? I know Ricky was already there, but he would have been in the early stages. I mean, I just wonder sometimes, whether as as pros who achieve longevity, if any of you had known at the beginning what you knew at the end, would would you ever have done it in the first place? Again, it's it takes a special person to be a fighter, and it, it sounds a silly thing to say. Um, you know, again, Matthew. You know, Matthew was involved in in some brutal fights. You know, was involved in some very tough fights. And I like to think myself as an intelligent person, as Matthew is. And, uh, you know, if you look at boxing from the outside, um, it's a crazy sport. You've got to be a little bit mad to do it. Like Matthew, I went to see Matthew um, in the hospital after his fight with Jamie Moore. You know, he, he, he was black and blue after some of my own fights, broken jaws, broken noses. After the day after the fights, I know I don't look much better now, but I'd look like the elephant man. And uh, from, from a normal person's perspective, you, they must think you've got to be off your head. And now I'm outside the ropes training and managing, and I have been for some times now. Um, you're looking at it from a different perspective. You, you, you're outside the ropes looking in. You know, I've had some fighters, you know, be involved in tough fights, lose tough fights. And sometimes, you know, they might have to go to hospital after after the fight. And a couple of times I've, I've sat back and I thought, you know what, I've got a good life now. Do I really need that? You know, you're speaking to people's families who have been hurt and, you know, they might have had to go to hospital after the fight. And you think, do I really need it? And uh, again, it's given me another perspective looking outside of the ropes. But the only reason I always come back to boxing is because, you know, I've seen 
boxing from every angle. Um, and knowing what I know now, would I go back and do it all over again in an absolute heartbeat? I'd love nothing more than to than to go back and, and do it all over again. I'm not one of these fighters, what you hear so much now of, you know, boxing's doom and gloom and, you know, I've not I've not done this, it's taken this from me. I give a hell of a lot of my time and effort and, and life to boxing, but boxing has been very, very good to me. Um, you know, it's it, it, I look back at it, you know, yeah, you've got your regrets, but boxing has been very good to me. It's only positive. I look back with fond memories, so I'm not one of these guys that boxing's taken this, that. I've given a lot to boxing, but I've received a, a lot from it. And I'm sure Matthew, again, uh, it seems more and more in the minority now these days. That's all you hear boxers calling boxing. I've taken this, it's taken that. I look back on my boxing career with, with fond memories and uh, I've given a lot to it but taken a lot from it, and, and I still do to this day, get a lot of enjoyment out of boxing, a great, great sport. Regrets. I've had a few, but then again, <laughs> too few to mention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no regrets. No regrets. When you do things different, you always would, wouldn't you? But certainly no regrets. No, it's been great. Brilliant. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, and, and I think there are, there are a good number of fighters in that, in that category, if you can manage to get out or as your as an active professional boxer, um, you've stayed in it, of course. If you can manage to look back on it all and think that that you've taken as much from boxing as it's taken from you, or it's been a two way street and you've both benefited, both the sport and yourself, then that's then I think you're in a fairly in a fairly happy place. I, I think sometimes fighters can tend to be just too hard on themselves when they retire. You know, I think they need to be a bit kinder to themselves in terms of thinking about just think about what you did do rather than what you didn't, because that's really what it comes down to in the end. People can tend to dwell on things that maybe they think should have happened that didn't happen or performances they should have given that were better that possibly didn't match up to their expectations. But that's, everybody has that, don't they? I mean, you need to, you need to look back on, um, on the, you know, as, as Matt always says, you know, don't cry that it's over, smile that it happened. And if you hang around in the sport for long enough, would you say that the lows outweigh the highs or, or is it more of a case of kind of perception of what you choose to remember? Again, I suppose it, it, it depends what kind of person you are. Again, I, I can't speak for Matt, but Matt, when, I, when I hear Matt speak about boxing, his passion for the sport is there. And, and I know Matt looks back on fond memories and you can always do things different. And I could have done this, I could have done this if I'd have done this a little bit different. But you've always got to move forward in life, haven't you? And uh, again, like you say, looking back on my own career, again, selective memory, I always choose the highs. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Well, hopefully there's there's, there's quite a few more of them um, coming up over the next over the next few years. And we will see you in a corner with Campbell Hatton very, very soon. So thanks very much for coming on and being our, our, our guest on our 100th episode. A um, hundred more to come over the next year or so. Um, I'm pretty confident about that. We've got one more to come this week. That will be with, with Robert Diaz, which will be a lot of fun. And we'll see what happens between Canelo and Callum Smith on the weekend. Genuinely, of course, I wish Callum Smith all the very best. Uh, there would be nobody more pleased than me to, to see him make me eat my words and get what would be an absolutely huge, huge 
win. So we'll be back with Robert Diaz later in the week. Maybe another one after you speak that. Speak to Robert, Andy. Make sure you ask him about the roulette wheel. He's better placed to tell you about that one. That's another one for Matthew. You know, I, I, I seen Robert Diaz right a few years ago, and uh, in Vegas, and he'd had a few drinks on him. And obviously, I was sober, and I said to him, "Yeah, you know, a couple of years now since I drank, Robert, something like this." And he's going, "Ah, oh, fair play to you." And anyway, he goes, "There's only one." He goes, "When the crowd says." There's only one Matt McLean. We say, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, 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 looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to that. And if, if, if Callum does manage to do it on the weekend, then we will probably reconvene um, for another one after that. Okay, so that's it. We'll let you go. We'll let you go. Matt, thanks very much. Been great this. Um, we will... We will definitely get you back on in the future. And for everybody listening, thanks. Thanks for sticking with us over the last 18 months, almost two years now. And if you could get on and give us a rate and a review and all that kind of thing. I know I always say this, but uh, it does help. It does help with the kind of ratings and the charts and, and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, stay safe. We'll be back later in the week. And old Lucy Brown. Yes, that Podcast Network.